Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525. Coming up, I'm going to do an in-depth conversation with Texas Congressman Troy Nails. We're going to talk about Ukraine. We're going to talk about the border. And Congressman Nails has a new book, Borderless by Design, which exposes the Biden administration's deliberate wrecking of the U.S. border. I'll also continue my argument for Stephen Douglas as part of my study of the Lincoln-Douglas debates. Hey, if you're watching on Rumble or listening on Apple, Google, or Spotify, please subscribe to my channel. This is the Dinesh D'Souza Show. this voice. The times are crazy and a time of confusion, division, and lies. We need a brave voice of reason, understanding, and truth. This is the Dinesh D'Souza Podcast. Guys, I'm delighted to welcome back to the podcast our friend Troy Nails, U.S. Congressman from Texas, uh, author of a remarkable new book, Borderless by Design. We're going to talk about it, but I also want to talk about some of the issues of the day. By the way, you can follow him on social media at Sheriff T. Nails, N-E-H-L-S. Uh, he is a former sheriff of Fort Bend County, also U.S. Army major retired. I featured him in my film Police State and the book, as I mentioned, Borderless by Design. Troy, welcome. Thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. Uh, I've been following the progress of this um, border. Well, what started out as a border bill in the Senate uh, then they kind of peeled out the border elements of it. It's, I guess, now become a sort of Ukraine uh, funding bill, but it's a giant amount of money. And uh, despite some valiant efforts by uh, Rand Paul, Mike Lee, and a few others to filibuster it and block it, it narrowly goes through the Senate with, you know, a fairly decent handful of Republicans uh, signing on to it. What is your take on this uh, funding project? I mean, it seems to me like Republicans are still a little bit caught in the old, almost Cold War model, where if it's if it's money for a, quote, national defense project involving some faraway country that is that is an, in, um, antagonistic to Russia, man, we need to spring to attention and get them that money right away. Whereas the situation is is entirely different than it was in the Reagan era, isn't it? Without without a doubt, and and again, thank you, Dinesh, for having me. I I obviously uh, from the beginning, <clears throat> the first funding measure, the forty billion. I think I was one of about maybe fifty fifty five or so Republicans that voted against giving Ukraine any money. The justification behind that vote, and it still holds true today is this administration has no strategy for Ukraine. Now, everybody, and there are some Republicans out there that obviously don't like Putin. They want to get Putin out of Ukraine. They're saying that Putin's going to get through Ukraine and end up in Poland to try to scare the world. But there really is no strategy there. Uh, And I will continue, as I have for three years, to vote against any type of funding for Ukraine. And then what they'll try to do, this administration, specifically the Senate, they'll try to include the funding for Israel. Now, what happened on the 7th uh, with Hamas going in and, and, and murder, murdering innocent children and families? It was horrible. I've seen videos the human eye should never see, the brutality of Hamas, right? So what they'll try to do is they'll try to capture some Republicans by including a funding measure like $14 billion, for Israel to try to trap many Republicans. So you either you support Ukraine or you ain't getting anything for Israel. Uh, I will not be supporting that legislation on the Senate side, and I hope it is dead in the water when it reaches here. Uh, we can't do it. We can't do it. 
I mean, Troy, when I let's stick, let's stay with Ukraine for a minute here, because here is to me the fundamental paradox. I would even say contradiction from the rhetoric of the kind of the pro-Ukraine guys. First, they say on the one hand that Ukraine can whip Russia. Because if Ukraine can't whip Russia, why are we trying to go for an all-out victory? Because we're going after the impossible. So the premise is, yeah, Ukraine can beat Russia with our help. At the same time, the same people are saying that Russia could invade all of Europe. Russia could take Poland. Russia could uh, presumably in, you know, pose threats to Germany, to France. So a country that can be whipped by Ukraine is evidently strong enough that it poses threats to all of Europe, if not the whole world. I mean, they expect people to believe this kind of nonsense. Which is it? Either Russia is an embattled nation that can't, that doesn't pose a significant threat and can be, can be walloped by a smaller country, or Russia is so strong that it can't, that Ukraine can't possibly prevail against Russia and some other type of solution is going to be necessary. Yeah. My personal, uh, opinions or belief is, is that if Russia really wanted to go in, and turn Ukraine into a parking lot, I think they would have the military might to do so. I really would. The only way I think that, uh, and well, number one, Putin hasn't done that. Uh, even if he could, he hasn't done that. The only way that Ukraine could win that battle, in my opinion, is you would have to send the full strength of the United States military into Ukraine. And I don't think we have the, the will to do so. Uh, I, I find it interesting that that Putin went into Crimea in 2014 under Obama and did it with very little military might. I, they just pretty much walked into Crimea because Crimea is pretty much Russians anyway. Many, many Russians into uh, Crimea. But Putin didn't do anything under Donald Trump's four years. And then what does he do? Putin sees the weakness in the White House under Joe Biden and he goes in and he invades Ukraine. So I think Putin, he's a, he's a character. I think he's an evil dictator. He's brutal. Uh, it's quite clear, but he also exploits weakness in the United States, especially the presidents that we've had. And he exploited Obama. He exploited Biden, but he didn't do anything underneath Donald J. Trump because he knew better. So really, uh, to the American people, to your viewers, if we really want this war to end with Russia into the Ukraine, it will be done under Donald J. Trump when he takes office in 2025. I mean, the thing to me about these brutal dictators is that sometimes they do tell the truth. I mean, in the Tucker interview, Putin says, you know, it was it was the U.S. that helped with European forces and Ukrainian to blow up the Nord Stream pipeline. Now, I remember prior to that happening, lots of people were openly calling for it. They're like, we can't allow Putin to succeed. We've got to do something about the Nord Stream pipeline and block that flow of oil. Then the Nord Stream pipeline gets blown up. But then we get this massive propaganda from the Biden regime to the effect that Putin blew up his own pipeline. Again, something that like defies credibility. Why would someone do that? This is sort of like a country bombing its own cities. It makes no sense. Uh, and yet these lies, and I guess it takes me by surprise because I'm so used to think of disinformation coming from other people's government, coming from Putin, coming from Xi Jinping, that the idea of massive disinformation, not just abroad, but to our own citizens coming from our own government. I mean, that's something we have to contend with today, don't we? It is, and we see that whether it's Russia, whether it's Ukraine, you can't really believe uh, too much what you see on television or what's being reported today. Uh, you really can't believe it. Not only whether it, remember Russia, 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 the Russian hoax, all the disinformation that's out there, I don't think the American people can actually truly believe what they're seeing or reading anymore. And I think people have a right to be concerned about what they're being told uh, by our, our our fake news media today, as well as this administration. I mean, they're the same administration, this Biden administration, the same one that says that the southern border is under control. The southern border isn't under control. The American people have seen cameras, whether it's Fox News or some of the others, showing tens of thousands of people coming through. So I think the American people have a right to pause a little bit and try to truly think, is the American people, is the government really telling me truth here? We could go to the pandemic. We could go to COVID. We could go to all of it. Donald Trump, all the misinformation out there. So uh, it, it's a concern. But again, 
my position is this. No money for Ukraine until we can, this administration can develop a strategy because they haven't been able to release a strategy as to how we address Ukraine. We've given them hundreds of bills, over $100 billion now. Now they want another $60 billion or so. Irresponsible. Irresponsible. Mike uh, Johnson, the Speaker, the House Speaker, he- issued a statement, uh, I guess a day ago, where he he takes a slightly different uh, reasoning to come to the exact same conclusion. Uh, I take the meaning of his statement to go that this is not going to get make any headway in the House. And to me, that is excellent news, because despite the sort of a failure in the Senate, uh, if the bill passed the House, of course, it would just represent a devastating loss. But uh, seemingly, Mike Johnson says that he's going to block it. His reasoning is this. He goes, listen, we're so concerned about other people's borders um, and we're putting all this money to secure Ukraine's border. We were promised that there would be real progress on securing our own border. And if that's not happening, I'm not willing to sign on to this other thing over here, regardless of what what merits you claim are for it, just because it's selling out the immediate threat faced by the American people and invasion at the southern border. Um, so it looks like the good news is that this is going to come to a grinding a grinding halt in the House. Do you agree that it that that this is something that should be stopped in the House and should be voted down in the House if it comes to a vote? It should, and I'm going to agree with Mike Johnson on this one. There was so much talk about trying to reach some of the more conservatives up here. I'm a member of the House Freedom Caucus saying Chuck Schumer shouldn't be driving the narrative here. Why is the Senate dictating policy, always dictating policy to the House and You boys over in the house better just fall in line because I'm Chuck Schumer. Chuck Schumer has had H.R. 2, which is uh, House Resolution number 2, which was the strongest border security bill we've had in decades, if not ever, in the history of our Congress. We passed it in the House of Representatives, and Chuck Schumer has had it now for several months, and he's done nothing with it. So the idea that the Democrats are truly seriously concerned about securing our southern border is just a downright lie. They do not want to secure the southern border. They come up with some type of a bill over there, some type of a border bill with Senator Langford and a few others out of Oklahoma and others. That's not border security. That is a bill designed designed to help Joe Biden with his dismal 33% approval rating because the American people are paying attention. I think the border is the number one issue to Americans uh, today. Economy is now number two. So they have to do something with the southern border or they realize he's going to be a one-termer. When we come back, I want to ask um, Troy Nails about whether there is a hidden impeachment clause uh, implicit in this so-called Ukraine bill. You know, as Christians, we have a sacred duty to honor and respect Israel and the Jewish people as God's chosen ones. In Genesis, God promised Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. This covenant remains binding today. Israel is a chosen nation that the Lord will never abandon, but one day renew completely. Now, I'm honored to support Voice of Judah Israel, Voji, Voice of Judah Israel, a messianic ministry focused in the heartland of Israel. Voji encourages evangelism, discipleship, and church planting in the land of Israel. Voji also uses humanitarian outreach to support all Israelis. Let's fulfill our duty as Christians. Let's bless the Jewish people. The fields are ripe for harvest in the Holy Land where our faith was born. Will you seize this moment? Rise up with Voice of Judah Israel. Empower the Jewish people. Let's fulfill our duty as Christians. Bless Israel. Communicate to them that they are not alone. Your financial support ensures the ongoing ministry of Voice of Judah Israel. Visit vojisrael.org slash Dinesh. That's vojisrael.org slash Dinesh. How do you feel these days? I feel great. One of the reasons I believe I feel great is because I take this balance of nature's fruits and veggies in a capsule. So easy to take. They have an amazing story of how this product was developed by Dr. Douglas Howard. It's right there on their website. 
Balance of Nature receives over a thousand success stories every single month. They have hundreds of thousands of customers who have purchased billions of capsules of their fruits and veggies over the past 20 years. Their products are gluten-free, they're non-GMO, they contain no added sugars or synthetics. I think if you're looking for something to make you feel better naturally, you should definitely give Balance of Nature a try. In fact, order today. Whether you order online or call them direct, you got to use promo code AMERICA to get the special offer 35% off. Here's the number to call, 800-246-8751. Again, it's 800-246-8751. Or you can go to balanceofnature.com. When you use discount code AMERICA, you'll get 35% off. I'm back with uh, Texas Congressman Troy Nails, the book, uh, Borderless by Design. Follow him on social media, at Sheriff T. Nails. Uh, Troy, you know, there seems to be a kind of, there's not an explicit impeachment provision in the uh, Ukraine bill, but it's it's sort of hidden in there because, as I understand it from uh, Rand Paul uh, and Mike Lee and others, the funding for Ukraine in this bill extends out for several years. And so if a President Trump comes in and says, I don't want to do it, then they go, you're breaking the law and we can impeach you over this. Let's remember that even in the last two impeachments, there was a Ukraine connection uh, and they brought up the fact that Trump was supposedly not following what the experts told him about these countries. Uh, that would seem to be an additional reason to be suspicious of this project. Don't you think so? Yes, I think there are some very conservative uh, senators that have expressed concerns about the language in the bill as it relates to a potential impeachment. Obviously, the warmongers, they want to continue uh, to see uh, wars. Donald Trump has made it very clear to the American people. He doesn't like to see these endless wars. And I've done interviews with Fox and others, and it said if Joe Biden really, really wants to end or see this war end in Ukraine with Russia, Joe Biden, all you have to do is call Donald J. Trump. Donald J. Trump will then call Vladimir, and he'll get it to end. Donald Trump is able to do that. He cuts deals. I think that Vladimir Putin, they say he's in bed with Donald Trump. No, I think Vladimir Putin respects Donald Trump. Probably a little bit concerned because if Donald Trump says he's going to do something, he's going to do it, and nobody toys, nobody plays with Donald J. Trump, whether it's Putin whether it's Xi Jinping, whether it's the, the little rocket man in North Korea. So Donald Trump can bring peace back to the entire globe once he's sworn in in 2025. I mean, what I like about Trump is that he thinks creatively outside the box and he'll come up with something that goes against what the country has been doing for you know, half a century, and yet you think about it and you go, that actually makes a lot of sense. Why haven't we been doing this all along? I mean, here's his latest comment. From this point forward, he says, no money in the form of foreign aid should be given to any country unless it is done as a loan, not just a giveaway. It can be loaned on extraordinary good terms, blah, 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 blah. But if the country we are helping ever turns against us or strikes it rich sometime in the future, the loan will be paid off and the money returned to the United States. I mean, it seems sensible, not only because, you know, why would we give away money? First of all, we don't have. But second of all, it gives you some leverage because if you've loaned someone the money, you can make a call on the loan. Hey, you got to pay me back. And the country is going to be a little more willing to listen to you on the international front. Whereas when you just give people money, they take the money. Thank you very much. They do exactly what they want. Uh, and so here's Trump and you've got all these foreign policy experts that have been, you know, advocating U.S. grant giving for decades. And Trump goes, let's just think about this whole thing in a fundamentally different way. And agree more. I think the American taxpayer would appreciate that we have a president that is concerned about the billions and billions of dollars that we we have troops across the entire globe. Uh, let's just talk about Europe. You know, I was in Europe a couple months ago. We were talking about the number of bases that we have over there. We're providing security for Europe. But yet you see a lot of the GDP in a lot of those European countries. It just isn't up to the standard that it needs to be. And like, why are the American taxpayers and the American troops, you know, providing all the security for Europe when it should be upon themselves? I think even when Donald Trump was the president, and we, you know, we've had troops in South Korea for obviously decades. And Donald Trump actually said, South Korea, you're going to pay more of the bill. I mean, why are we paying for this? You should be paying for having those troops 
over there, uh, securing that border as well. So I just think Donald Trump is an America first patriot. He understands what $33 trillion really truly is. And that's probably maybe the greatest threat to our country right now is the debt, the amount of debt we have in this country. So uh, I, I think American taxpayers and, and Donald Trump looks at the camera and he can relate to the average middle class person, family in America. He just says, why are we doing this? This makes no sense. Whether it's the UN, NATO, some of those others, I mean, we're pretty much the funder, at least the majority of the funding for some of those organizations that seem to be going against the United States of America. Troy, let's talk about the border. Uh, it's such a maddening situation. Uh, it seems like everybody is sort of trying to hand off the ball here because in the past, the courts have said this is a federal responsibility, not a state responsibility. So Texas is blocked from, from doing anything, or at least it's been, that's been the case uh, until now with, um, with the governor springing, you know, taking some action. Um, the, um, the, the Biden administration and Mallorca says, oh, it's not me, really me because Congress needs to fix the law. This is a longstanding breakdown in legislation. Uh, Congress, of course, is bogged down on the issue. And meanwhile, you've got people just streaming across the border uh, in apparently flagrant violation of existing law. So uh, tell us how you think about the border issue. What got you to want to write a book about it? And what are you saying about this that people really need to know? Well, I appreciate you thinking for bringing up the book. Chapter one of the book, it's 12 chapters, but chapter one in the book, you know, I was a sheriff in a large county in Texas, Fort Bend County, Texas, 850,000 people there. And while I was serving as a sheriff from 2012 to 2020, I had victims. I had people uh, being murdered, being killed by illegal immigrants that had crossed through our southern border. And what I've discovered is is one specific case I referenced where an elderly female was run over at an intersection by an illegal immigrant who ended up taking off. After we found him and arrested him, we found that he was deported six previous times. Dinesh, I kid you not, I had the family in the sun uh, the following week or so, and I come in there and I said, hey, pal, I'm sorry to tell you this, but your mother was killed by an individual who was deported six previous times. That's what really that's what really got me interested in trying to help our country with our disastrous southern border and our immigration policy. That's why I ran for Congress, and that's why I won. And then you get Donald Trump to come in there, and he creates and and the, the greatest border security by what a wall. Everybody supported the wall. The remain in Mexico policy, which we need to bring back. We need to remain in Mexico. Dinesh, your viewers need to understand. The millions of people coming through our southern border, about 10 of them that actually claim some type of credible fear in their home country that actually have a legitimate credible fear, about 10%. So 90% are being sprinkled across our entire country by the Democrats, and it's by design, which we should talk about. But Donald Trump said, if you come up here and claim that amnesty, this and that, your case is going to be adjudicated and you're going to remain in Mexico while we go through that process. It, w- it kept America safe, and Biden reversed it all when he took office. He reversed every single Trump policy. Shame on him, but it's all by design. I think this is a key point, and I want to highlight it and have you talk about it, which is to say, you've got these people, and out of a 100, you say, they're very few, maybe 10%, who are true refugees in the sense they're facing political persecution, they're running away from that. That was the intent of our refugee policy, is to allow people suffering persecution to have a kind of immediate uh, or, or, or prompt entry into the United States. The rest yeah. of them it seems, are, are reciting a mantra, or they've been coached. Uh, some NGO, some organization has told them, say that you're fleeing persecution, even though it's nonsense, even though there's no persecution per se going on in your country, the country may be poor. But on the other hand, the Border Patrol guys aren't dumb. Uh, they aren't fooled by this. So what you're saying, and I think this is the meaning when you say by design, 
the U.S. government is kind of in on it. The U.S. government is allowing people to preposterously claim that they are facing persecution. We pretend like, oh, maybe you are. So here's a court date two years from now. In the meantime, you know, make your way to Atlanta or make your way to uh, to any part of Texas that you want. Isn't this a rather frightening collusion uh, between these NGOs, uh, between, of course, the illegals themselves? And the Biden administration, which is at some level enabling them and putting them up to it. That's exactly right. I think Elon Musk even hit it the other day where he said that this is all by design. It's like one party rule. And that is the strategy. And and Joe Biden, uh, on obviously January 20th, he reversed every one of Trump's policies, which which we had the most secure southern border under Donald Trump's four years. It was the most secure border with his policies. Joe Biden reversed it all. He reversed it all knowing it's going to harm America. It's going to harm America and the American people. But he despises Donald Trump so much. He reversed all the immigration policies as well as obviously energy, independence, all of it. But as it relates to the border, he reversed all of it because he understands. And this is the long game for the Democrats. Bring as many people into this southern border they're not just from Latin America today or Mexico. They're coming from Ecuador, and I've been to all the different areas at our southern border. They're coming from everywhere because Joe Biden started inviting them even before he was sworn in. And the, eventually what they want to do is claim amnesty, we'll let you into the United States, you can remain here for several years, and eventually, eventually we'll get you through that naturalization process, and you all will then be, obviously, American citizens, and you're going to vote, it will be one party rule forever because these immigrants that are coming here will remember who brought them here and they tend to just vote Democrat. So it's a long strategy. It's one party rule. And if we do provide citizenship or allow these individuals the ability to vote as the Democrats would like to do in their local elections already, I don't know how the Republican Party could ever have another Republican president if this would ever happen. We'll be back with Troy Nails. Uh, the book is Borderless by Design. Follow him on social media at Sheriff T. Nails. Be right back. I recently read an article that said 84% of New Year's resolutions fail in the first six weeks. It got me thinking about PhD weight loss and nutrition and why it's been such a success for me and Debbie. We haven't gained one pound back of our weight loss. I lost 27, Debbie lost 24. According to the article, most people blame their failure on lack of time, motivation, and a loss of zeal. As I was reading, I can clearly see why we have been successful on this program. It's because they make it simple. It doesn't take a lot of extra time. They're masters of motivation. you got a team of coaches by your side the whole time, and you don't lose your zeal because every week you make great strides. Hey, I lost two pounds. Hey, I lost four pounds. So you're excited about moving forward. Don't make getting healthy another New Year's resolution fail this year. Call PhD Weight Loss and Nutrition. Make 2024 your year. Here's the number, 864-644-1900 to get started. Or you can go online at myphdweightloss.com. Don't do this alone. The number to call, 864-644-1900. We all know that aches and pains come with getting older, but it doesn't mean you have to accept it. That's why I want to tell you about Leah from Ohio and her Relief Factor story. One Sunday, Leah was sitting on her couch in so much pain, she was literally in tears. That's when she decided to try Relief Factor. In just eight days, she found relief. She continued to get, quote, better and better, she says, Quote, I am truly amazed at this product. We know from personal experience it works. Debbie can now do planks and push-ups, which for a long time she wasn't able to do. So Relief Factor totally works. If you're tired of living with aches and pains, see how Relief Factor, a daily drug-free supplement, could help you feel and live better every day. To get started... Try this. It's the Relief Factor three-week quick start kit. It's only $19.95 and comes with a feel better or your money back guarantee. So what do you have to lose? Visit relieffactor.com or you can call 800-4-RELIEF. The number again, 800-4-RELIEF or go to relieffactor.com. You'll feel the difference. I'm back for a final segment with Congressman Troy Nails. We're talking about his book, Borderless by Design. 
Troy, it seems that even though there is a long game, which is figure out a way to get the illegals to be naturalized and become long-term supporters of the Democratic Party, there are a couple of also short-term benefits that they get right away. Number one, if they have kids in the United States, those kids do become American citizens. Uh, and so there is an immediate sort of naturalization that occurs just by virtue of children born in the country now. Um, number two, uh, the illegals accounted for the purpose of the census. And so, for example, I understand that even though people are fleeing California, California is going to get some more congressional seats. Why? Because its population has been swelled by illegals and illegals accounted for the purposes of political representation. So to the degree that that, you know, House seats in California are going to incline to the Democrats, that's a win for the Democratic Party. But it's not a win 10 or 20 years from now. It's a win. It's a win today. So what you seem to be saying, and, and I agree, is this is a very cynical political project. And if it involves some child trafficking and if it involves some MS-13, I just saw an article from the New York Post about this vicious Venezuelan gang that is now apparently teaming up with MS-13. Um, so, all, uh, so all this bad stuff is going on. And I'm assuming that the, the U.S. government knows about it and they know it's bad, but they're like, you know what? I mean, I guess there was an old communist slogan, which is to make an omelet, you got to break some eggs. And that's what they're doing here, aren't they? The Biden administration knows exactly what's taking place at our southern border. They know the fentanyl's coming across. They know the gangs are coming through. Even documented registered terrorists are entering our southern border. But the dishonest media doesn't want to talk about that. The un-American, the idea that California will start counting illegals in their census so they could gain some more congressional seats, which would then be obviously Democrats, so they can gain control of the House uh, of Representatives. It's just that's their strategy. I mean, they're very savvy. They're very uh, unsavory characters in their game plan, but it is a long-term strategy. And quite honestly, it's working in many areas and in many ways, and we have to stop it, unfortunately. Unfortunately, Dennis, we don't have the will to do it in Congress. We we just don't. H.R. 2 is a strong, safe, secure border bill. The Senate doesn't want to have anything to do with it. This administration wants to blame Congress for not taking action to secure the southern border. Well, when Donald Trump had the most secure southern border, he didn't have a lot of support in the House of Representatives or the Senate. Donald Trump had to do it through executive order. And Donald Trump's border security plan, obviously, we had 21 executive orders and 25 presidential memoranda. He didn't have the support of Congress to secure the southern border. He did it through executive order with his Title 42, his remain in Mexico, and his first safe third world. So Joe Biden can fix the border crisis today if he chose to on his own through executive order, but he won't do it. And he gets the dishonest media to trumpet and say it's Congress's unwillingness to secure the southern border, which is totally a bold-faced lie. Uh, so I, I've got problems the way, uh, Senator, uh, obviously, the DHS Secretary Mayorkas has handled our southern border. And by the end of the day today, as we speak, we should vote him out and impeach him. We should impeach him at the end of today. Uh, will we go in and vote at 630 this evening? Isn't it? I mean, I, I think that's actually a belated and very important step. And, and of course, there was a, a little issue with the count and wheeling in the, the, the Democrat, you know, to block the voting and so on. But I think we all understand, and I'm sure you do as well as anyone else, that Mayorkas is a, 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 a pawn. I mean, he's a stooge himself. He is, it's, it's not that this is a rogue operator who on his own has decided to leave the border open. He's actually doing the bidding of Biden and the people around Biden who are really running the country. So at some level, I think it's an important symbolic step, but is, I'm assuming there's a widespread recognition in the house that the, that the smell or the stink goes all the way to the top. Yeah, and the few that have, uh, that we've had about three Republicans or so that say there's no really high crimes or misdemeanors with my work and this and that. We should be focused on Biden, maybe rightfully so. Biden is the commander in chief and he appoints these guys, uh, to these different cabinet positions. But my has looked at the American people over and over again and he's downright lied. I don't really believe, 
uh, half the things that come out of his mouth. And I don't know if he really believes it either. I mean, to look at the American people and say the southern border is, is closed, we have operational control, that is just a, a bold-faced lie. So I believe that we should impeach him. Uh, and we failed last week because obviously we uh, had the majority leader, Steve Scalise, wasn't here. That would have been the vote to take it over the top. But we're going to do it this week because Steve is back. So he will be impeached by the end of the day. It's dead over in the Senate. He'll never get convicted. But then the question is, he is the, the stoolie, obviously. Do we go after uh, Joe Biden? I believe we should impeach Joe Biden as well. But I tell you, I have to be honest with you here, Dinesh. I'm concerned we're putting so much pressure on Joe Biden, the Democrats are going to put so much pressure on his cognitive decline, he may not be the nominee, and that scares me. I want him to be the Democrat nominee against Donald Trump in this 2024 race, because we'll beat him for a second time. The uh, For a second time, I didn't miss that. I caught that, Troy, and I, I, I think that's, that is right. Um, I think the courts bear a little bit of responsibility here as well, because starting about a decade ago, this is the case of Arizona versus U.S., the court basically said, uh, you know, when states are trying to do something on their own about the border, the courts jump in and say, in effect, you don't have standing. It's not your job. It's the federal government's job. Now, the problem with that, of course, is that the federal government is not doing its job. And so the states are in the in the horrible position where it's not my job and yet I have to do it. It's kind of like I'd like the cops to protect me, but since they're not protecting me, I have to protect myself. And then the courts jump in and go, no. No, you can't do that because that's the cop's job. You know, so uh, it seems like this is the standoff that we're at. Uh, and there is a frustrating refusal on the part of the courts to step in and go, listen, yeah, it is the federal government's job. But if they don't do it, it makes no yep. sense to say to them, hey, um, this this basically means the citizens of Tex- Texas, for example, are utterly helpless against what is clearly a rather massive invasion. I mean, I made this point on the podcast, which is let's assume that they passed a law in Ukraine that said we'll sound the alarm when the number of Russians coming across our border exceeds 5000 a day. Then we're going to do something about it. But until then, things are kind of okay. I mean, they would never dream of doing that. Yet, in some way, that's what we're doing on our southern border. Yeah. Actually, Constitution says it is a federal government's job, but the federal government has failed to do their job. And that's why Governor Abbott and other states at the southern border have used this invasion clause, right? But then the states rule up and they say, they're really, I don't know, what the hell's the definition of invasion? All you have to do is look at the cameras down at our southern border and you see tens of thousands of people come through our southern border. It's causing problems. Those small communities in the southern part of Texas, obviously, you're seeing an increase in crime because these migrants, these bad hombres coming through are obviously harming the American people. It's, it's, it's causing problems with our economy. Uh, everywhere across the entire globe. It's depressing wages. It's just a bad idea. What's interesting, too, when you go back and you think at LULAC and, and some of these others, now, because I'm considered a racist, because I believe that we should have a strong, secure southern border. But when you go back and you look at years ago with LULAC and some of these liberal organizations, LULAC, didn't, they wanted to have a secure southern border, too, because having a secure southern border will help protect the Mexican-Americans, the citizens, the legal migrants that we have here. But when you bring in tens of thousands of illegals here, it's depressing the wages, it's causing problems. So the, I, I guess my point is this, is that we have a, a, a disaster. We have a, a, a southern border that's very porous, but it's all by design. It's all by design. It's, hard, it's hurting the American people. It's crushing our economy. It's flooding our schools. It's killing us. It's killing us. And it's about time the Democrats start looking at some of the words of either Jimmy Carter or even Bill Clinton in his State of the Union dress, where he said, we need to secure this other border. Go back and listen to Congresswoman Barbara Jordan that said, we need to do something. We should try, try to have some type of an e-verify system, because if you stop the employers, big egg culture companies and corporate from hiring these illegals, if you stop that, Maybe it will keep them in their home country. So Democrats, start listening to some of your leaders that you've had that truly identified an open border will ruin our country. It will destroy our country as we're seeing today. 
I mean, I don't think that most uh, Democrats or Republicans or independents, for that matter, are going to be okay with this. And it seems to me that with all the distortions from the media, it is the job of the GOP to put this issue front and center clearly before the American people so they can visually see what's happening uh, at the border. And of course, these illegals are now fanning out throughout the country. In other words, I find it interesting that it's an issue in the Iowa caucus. It's an issue in New Hampshire. I mean, who would think you'd find illegals in New Hampshire? But apparently there are quite a few. And so... Uh, I think that what's going to focus the attention of the Democrats is a massive electoral whipping in 2024, uh, and, and nothing short of that is going to, is going to show them that maybe this policy is not one that they, they want to continue. Guys, the book is must reading. It's called Borderless by Design. The author is Congressman Troy Nails. Check it out. Follow him on social media at Sheriff T. Nails. Troy, what a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Dinesh. God bless. Mike Lindell and the employees of MyPillow want to thank my listeners for all your continued support. Thank you. They're having an overstock clearance sale right now for the best prices ever when you use promo code Dinesh and you get free shipping on your entire order. Get 50% off the MyPillow 2.0, that's the pillow, and the brand new flannel sheets that just got in. Get six-pack towel sets for just $29.98. Also take advantage of the free shipping on larger items, mattresses, mattress toppers. They're 100% made in the USA on sale for as low as $99.99. Everything's on sale. The brand new kitchen towel. The bath towels, the robes, the dog beds, the blankets, the couch pillows, and so much more. So check it out to get the best specials ever. Go to MyPillow.com, use promo code Dinesh, or you can call 800-876-0227. Again, it's 800-876-0227. Get free shipping on your entire order while supplies last. I'm uh, continuing my discussion probably for the next couple of days on the case for... Douglas. This is part of a wider discussion of the Lincoln-Douglas debates, Harry Jaffa's book, Crisis of the House Divided. And uh, in this segment, we're going to talk about Manifest Destiny. We're going to talk about the expansion of the influence and borders, the physical borders of the United States. This was a huge issue in the middle of the 19th century. It was a huge issue in 1858 when these debates occurred in Illinois. Uh, But the issue had been simmering for quite a while. Douglas came into Congress in 1843, uh, so 15 years earlier. And um, the issue in 1843 had to do with Texas. Let's remember, I think it was 1836, uh, Texas breaks away from Mexico and establishes an independent republic. So you got Texas as a country to itself, Uh, when Douglas enters Congress. And yet Texas is not part of the United States, not yet. Uh, That occurs in 1845, so a few years later, and there will be a uh, a Mexican war uh, that goes along with that, and the borders of the United States will expand considerably. But not only over Texas. Texas is huge enough. That then becomes part of the United States. But um, the borders of the United States are stretching um, to include new territories like Utah, like uh, California, that was part of a, uh, a kind of a massive agreement and purchase that was made by the United States. A diplomatic settlement with Great Britain results in the United States essentially taking over Oregon, all of Oregon south of the so-called 49th parallel. And then there was the the Gadsden um, purchase um, of 1853, which also adds territory to the United States. So what's going on here is that the, uh, the, the areas of the United States that were controlled by foreign powers, uh, originally France, but then England, uh, Spain, these European powers are being pushed away, and these territories are now being, in a sense, loosened. They're, they're available, if you will, to join the United States. And yet, and this is a critical question, most of these territories had not yet joined the United States. They did eventually. And today we take it so much for granted that the United States stretches from Maine to Florida to Southern California, all the way up to Washington State. We assume that's the United States. This was not assumed by anybody in the middle of the 19th century. It was not obvious that it was going to happen in this way at all. And uh, now when it did happen, it 
totally transform the country. Look at this. The United States between 1845 and 1848 increased its territory from 1.8 million square miles to 3 million square miles. Think about that. The United States essentially not quite doubled in size. That would require 3.6. But adding a million square miles to the physical domain of the United States. This is absolutely huge. And it should be emphasized that Douglas was completely in favor of this kind of expansion. He thought it was critical because he, he loved America. He thought the American example is projected by America physically increasing its size and its influence. So Douglas was a champion of Manifest Destiny. Now, interestingly, and the, and the Democrats in general were for expansion. Uh, ultimately, uh, it was a Democratic president uh, who promoted this kind of, uh, of expansion in the middle of the 19th century. Interestingly, the Whigs, now there were no Republicans in the middle of the 19th century. The Republican Party was started 1854 uh, and then, of course, came to power in 1860 with Abraham Lincoln. Uh, but in the 1840s and, of course, even before that, the 1830s, you had the Whigs. Lincoln was a Whig. Uh, before Lincoln, um, you had uh, the great leader of the Whigs was, or at least not leader per se, but clearly a kind of stellar spokesman of the Whigs, Daniel Webster. Um, and, and Daniel Webster is in many ways a, a kind of hero to Lincoln, a, a progenitor of the Republican Party, a champion, of course, of the Union. And yet, listen to, listen to Daniel Webster. He says... What sympathy can there be between the people of Mexico and California and the inhabitants of the Valley of the Mississippi and the Eastern states? Do they concur in any general constitutional principles? He goes on to say, arbitrary government may have territories and distant possessions because arbitrary governments may rule them by different laws and different systems. Russia may rule in the Ukraine and the provinces of the Caucasus. Interesting that he refers to that here. Um, and then he says, um, by different codes, ordinances, or ukases, an ukase is an order, we can do no such thing. They must be of us, part of us, or else strangers. So what is Daniel Webster saying? He's saying, I'm not sure I want former parts of Mexico, and he's speaking specifically of Texas, to be part of the United States. I'm not sure I want any Californians to be joining America. Why? Because I don't see them as similar to the people of Mississippi or of Boston, for that matter, or of New York. They're strangers to us. They're like from a different country. We don't want them. They're, they're going to sort of mess us up. We can't rule the country by different codes and commandments for everybody. We need to have a uniform set of laws, and that means we need to be a uniform type of people. So looking back on it, it's almost unbelievable that you've got a supposedly far-seeing statesman, a prominent Whig, Daniel Webster, hero of Lincoln, basically saying, keep the United States really small. Let's just kind of hang on to the East Coast. We got certain parts of the South. And Daniel Webster conceded, well, you know, I understand there's a Louisiana Purchase. We got Florida because uh, because once the Spanish became too weak, somebody had to take. So he understood. But Daniel Webster's point is that we're getting these territories sort of by necessity. So, yeah, it's kind of forced. We don't really want them, but we sort of have to take them. But in terms of spreading the country and just taking more and adding more territories and making them states and going all the way to the West Coast to the Pacific Ocean, for Daniel Webster, that was like a little crazy. And yet Douglas, at a time when it was not obvious that these territories, remember when the, when these territories, uh, became un, un, unhitched from England and unhitched from Spain, it did not automatically follow that they would become part of the United States. It did not automatically follow that they would become states. They had to be admitted as states. It had to be by the mutual consent of the, of the territories themselves and also of the U.S. government. Both sides had to agree uh, before this, this could happen. And as I say, one of the two major political parties, the Whigs, were reluctant to agree. Lincoln himself was had had issues with with Texas. Ultimately, Lincoln sort of acquiesced 
to the entry of Texas in the United States, but not before putting up a fight, not before making objections to the Mexican War, which was over the territory of Texas. Uh, and so Lincoln's kind of went along with it, but it's one thing to go along with it. It's another thing to advocate it. Douglas advocated it. Douglas was, let's spread the banners of freedom. And you can see here how Douglas is making a, a kind of anti-slavery case, but doing it in a roundabout way. It's kind of like Douglas is saying, all right, we've got the slave states and the free states. We have a massive project to expand the free states. Uh, now, one or two of them, like Texas, may end up in the slave camp, but most of them will not. We're also bringing to the country really hundreds of thousands, ultimately millions of immigrants. Now, these are legal immigrants. They're, they're coming to settle, you know, virgin territory or territory that has got vast tracts of unused land. The United States wants them here. This is not some Biden scheme. This is not people crashing the border. This is a case of people from Europe coming willingly to the United States um, and the United States wanting to have them. Uh, and this is something that, um, that uh, again, uh, these people coming to America, these immigrants, these Southern Europeans and Eastern Europeans and Irishmen, these are Douglas's people. He is for them. He is for this type of legal immigration to populate especially the open lands of the West. Now, Lincoln, very interestingly, is not opposed uh, to immigration. He's not opposed to people coming with nothing and making their way in life. In fact, Lincoln champions the working man, but there arises in the country a strong anti-immigrant movement. And this is an anti-immigrant movement in the North, and it's called the nativist movement. Uh, and even though the people coming are Europeans, they're a different type of European than the people already here. And this nativist movement, very interestingly, is in the Whig party. It's in Abraham Lincoln's party. And so Lincoln has a very interesting issue, which is to say, what's he going to do with all these Whigs in his own party who are anti-immigrant, even though Lincoln is not? So tomorrow, when we pick this up, we're going to discuss the peculiar dilemma of Lincoln, who sort of had to fudge and dodge and say one thing in private, another thing in public, because he wanted the votes of these nativists. These nativists were part of the anti-slavery coalition, and yet they were anti-immigrant. And so this posed a problem for Lincoln. It did not pose a problem for Douglas. Douglas attacked the nativists kind of openly. Uh, he, he said that they were stopping people coming to the United States who should be here, who belonged here, who would strengthen the United States. So Let's remember that the when we talk about the anti-slavery debate, and that's the core of the issue between Lincoln and Douglas, it's part of some of these larger issues having to do with manifest destiny, the expansion of the borders of America, and the arrival of all these new people, whites for the most part, from Europe coming to America, but causing then although as they do now in a very different way, now we're dealing not with legal but with illegal immigration. Um, and so it's interesting to see how this issue has been an issue uh, even going back into the 19th century, although in a very different way. Subscribe to the Dinesh D'Souza podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify or watch on Rumble, YouTube, and SalemNow.com.